0: on the go this podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go this episode is a sermon from sunday september 13th 2020 called beacons of hope forgiveness given by pastor jonathan dinger the scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of genesis chapter 50 verse 20 you intended to harm me but god intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives God's grace, His mercy, and His peace are yours in Jesus Christ, our Savior. So, um, so these two boys, two brothers, Billy and Johnny. And Billy and Johnny would go at it kind of tooth and nail at times, and they just would, would be in, uh, in each other's grill. But they were brothers, and they played together all the time. But this one particular day, things were nasty, and they were just bad. And so finally it got so heated and so heated that, um, that Johnny said to Billy, he said, I never want to speak to you again. And he shoved him, and he went off, and Mom intervened. And she's, she kind of stepped in and said, you go to your room, you go to your room. Never want to speak to you again. So mom went in and talked to him about forgiveness and about being kind to one another about saying they're sorry and all that kind of thing. Well, the very next day she just wondered how it would go, and later in the afternoon she looks out in the backyard and they're there, just playing away. Just having a great old time, climbing the tree and messing around, and they're helping each other out and they're doing she was so thrilled. She was so thrilled. She goes out there and she says to she says to uh, Billy and Johnny, she says, Well, what's going on? I thought you said you'd never speak to each other again. And she said, Well, Johnny and me, we're good at forgetting. We're good at forgetting. I don't, I don't know if we, would, if we would call that a compliment normally. Normally, that's, that's not a compliment. But when it comes to forgiving, we're good at forgetting. That was the problem you know, that Peter was dealing with and the Jewish people were dealing with as, as, we, as Pastor Von Busch read this passage from Matthew 18. All of those passages you heard relate to this idea. They're the assigned readings for today. And I think this is a critical, critical piece in the moment that we're speaking on. We're in a series here of talking about beacons of hope because we believe we need it right now. If you're watching online, maybe you're watching in other parts of the country. I, will, I, would, I would suspect that you might agree with me that we might need some beacons of hope at this moment when the language we're using and our manner of discourse and the confusing data points that we have and the arguing and the nobody backs down and nobody ever says, I'm sorry. It's a broken time. It's a diseased time. And we need to lead the way. This is an area where Christians can lead the way because we have been forgiven so much. So I want to share, share this with you on this because this is a recurrent problem in the scriptures. In Joseph, it's about forgiveness. In the Romans passage, it's about not lording it over someone else, another brother or sister in the faith. Why do you think you have to be right all the time? Be patient and gracious and kind with one another. Stop judging so quickly. And then Peter, and Jim did a nice job of saying, Peter, you know, what a good boy am I. Let me show you. I studied on this one. I'm an overachiever. And uh, because, you know, really, if you go into the Old Testament, the rule was really eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? You punch me and knock out my tooth, I get to come in and justice says I get to knock out your tooth. You steal a, a cow from me, I get to take a cow back from you. I mean, it's just one for one, even up, right? And so the rabbis really believed they were showing the mercy and the grace of God by saying, you know, you know what, to reflect the nature of God's mercy, um, three times. You can forgive somebody who wrongs you three times. And after that, you can hold whatever grudge you want. <laughs> you can get your pound of flesh any way that you want to get it. And so Peter's thinking, hey Jesus, what do you think? Seven? That's good, right? That's good. He's waiting for the pat on the back. And of course, Jesus then says, no. Uh, And in one translation, it says this one, 77. You can translate it two ways, or 70 times seven. Let me make this contention for you. Because I like the 70 times seven better, because I know some people who if it was 77, they would say, okay, I'll get out my ledger. And they would keep track. 77 is enough to keep track of. 490 gets a little tedious. If I have to forgive you 490 times. Anyway, 77 is too. But I mean, I, I know people who are ready to keep score. The irony is when I'm keeping score on somebody else, I have a real tough time keeping score on myself. And so what Jesus is trying to do is to talk about this. We have a hard, hard time forgetting because we have a hard, hard time forgiving. And so I love this story of Joseph. I'm sure you're probably familiar with it. In fact, if you know the Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, um, Rice and Weber, those great composers, British composers, they actually do a very faithful job of telling the story right out of the Bible. They do a good job. I have a beef with just one of their songs, but other than that, they do a great job in the Old Testament telling the story. The story of Joseph, a favored son, a younger son, From the favorite wife, Jacob had four wives. One of his wives was was his favorite. Joseph was that boy. So he didn't have to go and work in the fields. The The other brothers had to. All the older brothers had to. He was a teacher's pet. He was spoiled. And he got a fancy coat. He got a fancified coat of many colors that his father had made specially for him. And of course, Joseph was stupid enough to wear it he went and wore it in front of his brothers when that, while they were out working in the hot sun and he wore his, and then not only on top of that, Joseph's so stupid that he says, hey I had a dream, let me tell you about the dreams I had, and the one dream is, you know, we were out in the fields working, we made sheaves, you know, stalks of, we were doing harvest and we had 12 sheaves for all of us, and you know what, all of your sheaves bowed down to my sheave. What do you think that means? <laughs> You know, what an idiot. And then he is in another dream. And there were all these stars in the sky, and your stars all bowed down to mine. I wonder what that means, you know. And it's so funny because his brothers are just incensed. They are so angry. How dare you? Do you think we'll ever bow down to you? And then he even goes back to dad, and dad is mad at him and says, You think your mother and I are going to bow down to you? So Joseph did himself no favors, and when they had the chance, they said, let's get this dreamer. And so their first plan is to kill him. One of the brothers intervenes. Some One of you will tell me who it is, Simeon or Judah. I think it's Judah. Intervenes and says, nope, don't kill him. That's really bad. But let's throw him in a pit here, and let's figure out what happens. And along comes some Ishmaelites, right? some slave traders, and they say, hey, let's make a few bucks off him. We'll sell him to slavery. He goes down to Egypt. We'll never hear from him again. That's what happens. He goes down. He's sold as a slave. He enters into a household and he is blessed. God blesses him even in that. He rises to uh, in charge of the whole household. But the wife of the master of the house has her eye on him, tries to seduce him. Joseph says, nope. It would dishonor my master. Not going to do it. She is a woman spurned and embarrassed and then um, claims that Joseph abuses her, takes advantage of her. He's thrown in the dungeon. So unjustly accused, he's thrown in a pit again. And while he's in the pit, God blesses him again. He kind of rises in authority, even in prison. And the warden takes note. And uh, there's a couple of the king's servants there. And Joseph is given the ability to interpret dreams. He did it with his brothers poorly. Truthfully, but poorly, And so there's a butler and there's a baker. The butler says, can you interpret my dream? Joseph does, and he's restored. And he promises Joseph, I'll remember you and I'll speak a good word for you and forgets all about him. And then there's a baker and his dream doesn't go so well. But his dreams are right. Finally, Pharaoh has a dream that no one can interpret. And the butler finally remembers. And he says, I know a guy. And so he... Joseph comes up and interprets Pharaoh's dream. And of course, you know the story. I think you do. Seven years are going to be full of plenty. And seven years are going to be horrible famine like the world has never seen. So he says, Mr. Pharaoh, man, I think it would be smart for you to start saving up. And Pharaoh says, I can't think of anyone better to do it than you. So he says, you're obviously blessed by God. Take on the job. And so Joseph rises to being second in command of all of Egypt only to Pharaoh. It's an amazing story of restoration. Well, the famine hits where, Joseph, where Joseph's brothers live and father. And when the famine hits there, they say, we need some food. So they say, we hear Egypt's got food. So they pack up and head down that way. And they beg. And they don't recognize Joseph at all. And they beg him for food. And he plays them a little bit. And the whole purpose is to see if they're sorry. To see if they've learned a lesson. And he discovers that, in fact, they have learned their lesson. And they are sorry about their son, their brother, who, their brother who is no more. And they are compassionate to even the younger younger brother that he has. But Joseph is longing to be reunited with his family. And so in the end, you get this scene where he's revealed to his brothers, and the brothers are scared to death. They have a right to be scared to death, don't they? Here's a guy who is second in command of all of Egypt, and they are beggars who are hungry, and who have committed the worst crime you can commit against their brother. They're at his mercy. So this is a story of forgiveness. It's a story of forgiveness. Now, how does it tie to hope? I'm going to make this assertion for you, and you can ponder it in your mind. You can see if you agree with it or not. But I'm going to tell you that the reason this is such a beacon of hope in the moment that we have today is that I believe that forgiveness is a source of hope. When you're holding a grudge, you can't have hope. When you're estranged from that relationship, what hope is there in that relationship? For it to get better, for you to work together, for you to accomplish goals. If there is a brokenness and an unforgiven peace in that relationship, how can you possibly have hope? But with forgiveness. Have you experienced this? When you have gone to a beloved person, a neighbor, a friend, a person, and you have said, I have wronged you, And I am so sorry. And I am praying and longing that you would forgive me. And that relationship is is restored. You have hope like you've never seen before. Anything is possible. Anything is possible when we have been restored to one another in honesty and in grace and forgiveness. That's why the heart of Jesus Christ is grace. Is because anything is possible with his people who have been restored by his grace. In the same way, I believe that hope is a source of forgiveness. Because when we have hope, we can forgive. Because God restores hope to us by his grace. And when we have fully and and completely received his grace, acknowledging that we need it, acknowledging that we too are sinners without hope, I mean, you think about the example that they have here in Jesus' parable. The man who comes to the master who owes 10,000 bags of gold. Every commentary you read, he he says, oh, let me work it off. And it's a joke. It's a joke. He can't work it off. It is an absolute impossibility. So in other words, if you owed, for example, take any one of us here in this room, if you owed $10 billion with a B, and someone said to you okay pay it off you would be in fact what condition hopeless and the master restores his hope because of forgiveness he forgives the debt his hope is restored i'm telling you in a time in our in our age in our country when we so desperately need hope i'm telling you that a foundation of that is forgiveness and we are not in a forgiving moment are we i don't know Would you agree? It doesn't feel like it. It doesn't sound like it. The discourse and the conversation does not feel very patient. It does not feel very gracious. It does not sound like we're listening well to each other. And we certainly are not asking for forgiveness from those for whom we may have spoken harshly or those who have spoken harshly to us. And so this story of Joseph, I think, is critical to show you the connection between forgiveness and hope, because I'm guessing that you would agree with me, even if you yourself are not in this spot, we know the data around our country and even around the world. People are struggling to find hope, to live in hope. And I'm going to tell you that I believe we have the chance to lead the way because we can lead with grace. We can lead with forgiveness. So in the first one is this, you know, so Peter had a plan, didn't he? I got a plan for forgiveness, not one, not three, seven. We'll do seven. How about that? And Jesus essentially says, if you're keeping track, you are not forgiving. Would you agree with that? If you're keeping track, you are not forgiving. And I think Jesus would tag it this way. And you yourself, my friend, have not been forgiven. You have not received that forgiveness in the manner in which it has. We only receive forgiveness when we say, I am zero. Not, I'm 50%. I need a little forgiveness. No, no. I'm either zero and I receive forgiveness or not at all. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you're you're keeping track, then forgiveness is not happening. The brothers had a plan too. I always laugh at this one. Did you catch that when uh, Teresa read that? So the brothers all come in and they say, Hey, dad told us to tell you this. Now, I'm looking through there, and there's nowhere where Jacob says, tell him that. It looks like they got a plan. Hey, let's go in and tell him, Dad told us that you need to forgive us. So they have a plan. This is not how it goes. God's plan. Those are their plans. And that's what Joseph tells them. So the first thing I want to do to encourage you is God has a plan. It's a plan to give hope because it's a plan built on forgiveness. So if you're filling in, God has a plan. It's a good plan, it's for you, but here's the tag, and it's for everyone. Folks, you may find this weird. I am telling you, one act of grace by one person to another. How do you think that the coronavirus began? It was one virus to one recipient. And it has impacted hundreds of millions of people throughout the the globe. Wouldn't it be great if forgiveness was a virus? Where one act of forgiveness, one act of grace, became a virus of compassion and a virus of hope. You know the story here. Do you know this? God saves the world in this moment. God has a plan. Joseph says it. Don't be afraid. He says, am I in the place of God? I'm not God. But look at what God was doing. Joseph didn't realize the plan until now. And he still didn't understand the full scope of the plan. He says, you intended to harm me. God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I'm saving the known world because I've got food to give you. That's what he's thinking. I'm saving many, many lives because we've got grain to share. But even Joseph doesn't understand that what God is really doing is saving the line through which the Messiah will come to save the entire world. This is how God keeps the promise alive. Even Joseph didn't know it. Even you don't know what your act of grace and forgiveness might do. Would that it would be a virus to put the coronavirus to shame. Second thing. So there's this old story about a... a, This guy, his brother passes away and his brother worked in the circus and he had a talking parrot. And this parrot, man, could it talk. And so he wanted to honor his brother, so he takes the parrot and he gets a cage and he has the food and all that. And this parrot, from the moment he gets it, will not shut up. And not only will he not shut up, he talks constantly, but he uses foul language and he's insulting. He insults the guy constantly, tells him what a jerk he is and how stupid he is and how horrible this is. So he puts up with this for a few days, right? And finally, after a few days, he says, enough with my brother, I'm sorry, he's dead, but he takes this parrot by the neck, throws it in the freezer, closes, slams the door just to shut him up. And so he still hears behind the door, you know, still hears this thing, all of a sudden it all goes quiet. Oh, and he goes, oh my. So he waits a minute, still quiet, still quiet. And he goes, oh my gosh, I wonder if I killed the bird. And so he opens up the thing and out comes the parrot very sheepishly and he holds him on his, on his finger and this is what the parrot says. He says, I am truly sorry that I might have offended you with my language and action and I humbly ask your forgiveness. I will now from this day forth endeavor to correct my behavior so that such an ill-perceived outburst will never again occur. Well, he was completely astonished at the bird's change in attitude, was about to ask what caused it, and the, parrot, and the parrot then continued, and he said, might I inquire what the turkey did? <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. I think people think in their language, in their bluster, in their, in their, you know, their aggressiveness, they think that's being strong. They think that's strength. I'm going to put on a front. I'm going to bombard you with my aggressiveness. I'm going to do all of those things. And people think that forgiveness is weakness. Neither forgiveness nor nor hope is weakness. It is the greatest strength we can have. A person who restores, knowing full well who we are and what we have done, who knows full well our history, that is the greatest strength that can be given. The person who is willing to say, I accept the hurt and I love you and I forgive you, for that's what Christ did. The greatest act of strength in the whole world that has ever been seen was a cross, a Roman cross that was planted in the ground, that was a stake God placed in the ground that said, this far and no farther, this is where forgiveness begins. The greatest act of strength for a Savior who stayed on the cross when he could have come down, when the world looked at that and said that was weakness, we who believe know there was nothing greater, no stronger action ever been taken on your behalf, on behalf of the world. It is not weakness, but strength. Joseph was in a position of strength. He could have had every, bo- every one of those kids, every one of his brothers executed. He could have banished them. He could have turned them into slaves. He could have done anything he wanted. And he showed strength because he forgave. Am I in the place of God? No. God is in the place of God. It might not hurt for us to stop playing God and let God do what he does best, which is forgive and give hope. Third thing is this. So these, uh, these little girls are playing and uh, she was fighting with a friend. And the mom heard the quarrel and she talks with the little girl and she pulled her aside and she wanted to show her what she was doing wrong because she was just so mean and it was just so hurtful what she said. And, uh, and, she, and the other girl was mean and hurtful too. She said, but I need you to ask for God's forgiveness. You really hurt your friend. You hurt Charlotte. You should say you're sorry. And so she, the little girl said, okay. So she knelt down to pray. It was down at bedtime. And she began her prayer. She said, oh God, please forgive me for getting angry and for quarreling with Charlotte. So far, so good, right? But the child went on and said this. And please make Charlotte come to me and ask my forgiveness. Oh, Lord, give her no rest until she is sorry and comes and tells me so, right? I mean, isn't this how we so often pray, right? Oh, I'm really sorry for that. But I was wronged. But I was wronged. And we love to carry that in our back pocket, to hold it near and close you know, the thing here that I, that, I, that I want to tell people is forgiveness for others arises out of forgiveness which has been shown to me. That's point three. Shown to you. Here's a phrase for you. See if this helps. We can either cling to the hurt or we can declare the hope. You can cling to the hurt or you can declare the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. You know, Joseph, we forget this part of the story because it's way back at the beginning. Joseph needed to be forgiven. The reason he is able to show such grace is, is because he knows how much he was forgiven. He blew it bad. He blew it bad. He took advantage of his father's goodwill. He took advantage of his father's generosity and his position in the family. He insulted his brothers and he incited them to anger and jealousy. He was filled with conceit and pride. And he learned about that in the dungeon. He learned about it in prison. And because he knew how much he was forgiven, he was able to forgive. I mean, that's the story that Jesus tells with the parable. The man who was forgiven of an unforgivable debt did not somehow realize what he had received. Folks, I am telling you, our ability to forgive is built completely upon whether we think we've been forgiven of much or not. Because if you don't think you've been forgiven of much, you will never have a forgiving heart to others. Does that sound harsh? It's the truth. But it's when we know that we have been chief of sinners, as Paul says, if we have been the first to offend, if We're dealing with ourselves first. And Jim and I both struggle with this. It's not about forgiving yourself. It's about receiving the forgiveness God is longing to share with you. That God has said to you, not you saying to yourself, but that God has declared to you. You know how precious you are? Look at that. Can I do anything more? I love you and you are my own and I gave everything for you. Forgiveness for others arises out of forgiveness Shown to me. Last thing is this, and I want to share this as a personal story. Jordan was at the at the first service. Jordan Timions are one of our new fourth grade teachers. Um, one one of our new teachers, and she teaches fourth grade. And she's a Concordia Portland grad, and she's been up at Camp Perkins. Some of you may have had her as a counselor. She's a dear, and she did her first devotion for faculty. We have a faculty devotion every day, and there's about fifty people in here, so and uh, they're all spread out, of course, and uh, and it's it was the first one ever. It can make you nervous. It can make you nervous. Um, And so she's brand new teacher. She's doing this and she gave a beautiful devotion, but this is the story she told. And I told her, I said, Jordan, I I need to tell that story to the church because the last point is this, the blessing of fill it in for me tight. Great hurts. Is that what I say? Hard times, the blessing of hard times. And that seems weird. What do you mean, the blessing of hard times? Oh, yeah, you're going to give me some lecture, some trite saying about it makes you tough or it gives you great, you know, whatever. Here's a cool thing. She told the story that I think illustrates this beautifully. She was uh, doing some student teaching and she had a practicum in a public school at the middle school. And so she was assigned and she had just broken her foot. She played college softball. And so she had broken her foot and she had it in a boot and it was still fresh and, and it was still painful. And she decided she wanted to be cool at school so she didn't use the crutches. And she said, next time, use the crutches. Because she said every step, it was just shooting pain. It was really hard. And so she gets to the school, finds out where the class is She's on the third floor, no elevator. So she, at the bottom of the stairs, she's about in tears. And she offers a prayer. And she says, Lord, would you just take the pain away? Would you just, just help me get into the classroom and help me just take the pain? Just make this easy. Make, take the pain away. So she starts up the step. Ouch. Goes up. Lord, take the, ouch. All the way up, the whole way up, God never took the pain away. Now, when you get up to the top of the steps, you could have said, you could have easily said, God was not faithful God was not kind. God did not answer my prayer. Did not. It was an easy prayer, too. It would have been so easy. But that's not what Jordan said. She looked back on it because she knew she was tempted to say that. God, why couldn't you have just done that little thing? Where were you? And the thing was, she came to realize that with every step she took, even if it had pain in it, every step she took, she was in conversation with her Savior. That's pretty cool. I said to her, That's pretty cool. That's the blessing of hard time, is that with every step we take, we're in conversation with our Savior, who has not left us and who continues to forgive us and grant us hope. To God be the glory. Amen. If you have any questions or comments about this sermon, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.